by now, most of us have heard about the metaverse, although there isn't necessarily a consensus on exactly what it is. We've had versions of it for the last 15 years or so, but there's been a renewed interest of late and big companies are making big investments in it. So what exactly has changed? What's new? And what does the metaverse future look like? Welcome to W3B Talks, an ongoing exploration of the impact of Web3 and blockchain technologies on business, government, and society. My name is Doug Heinzman. I am the Chief Catalyst at the Blockchain Research Institute. In this episode, we're going to look at Web3 and blockchain and how it's helping, how they're helping build the metaverse. To help us better understand this very complex topic, I am delighted to welcome Jim Slada to the podcast. Jim is a professor of education at the University of Toronto. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Hello. Hi, everyone. You know, I I read <clears throat> I read Snow Crash back in the 1990s and um, was first introduced to the science fiction version of the metaverse. Uh, it was a a parallel world, a digital world where people would socialize, they would seek and accumulate information, they would transact. Um, I also read Player One, Ready Player One, and um, you know, kind of got quite fascinated by the concept of the oasis and of its multi dimensions, right? That you could go to school there, that you could work there, that you could, you know, go to parties there, that you could uh, play games there. And, you know, it, it was a, a vision of a, of a digital world that, that bridged all kinds of aspects of our lives together. Um, and then also back in the late 2000s, I was, uh, I was, I was at IBM and I was doing strategy work and we were fascinated by Second Life, and I ended up spending quite a bit of time, you know, teleporting and flying around and walking around islands and such in Second Life. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've had bits and pieces of what the metaverse might be, and I'm, I'm fascinated by, by what's happened lately as, as the metaverse has kind of entered the consciousness in the last, you know, year and a half or so. Um, and suddenly a big thing and, you know, you, you can't open your email without someone trying to sell you more real estate or something like that in a metaverse. So, Jim, what, you know, in your mind, where are we? I mean, what, what is what is this new metaverse that we've been talking about? <laughs> You're asking me. <laughs> uh, I'm a I'm a citizen, right? So I'm a, I'm a citizen with a job and a, in a place and and I work with people. And and so. I'm I'm really aware of the intrusion of the kind of virtual hybrid forms that have come up lately. Um, I'm also I also teach you know uh, media and learning here at the University of Toronto, so I'm I am and have been aware of the kind of impact of the internet on all things, and that's pretty much the the basis of a lot of my teaching here. So I'm. That means I, I, I know nothing. <laughs> it means I'm really aware of how little we know. And I think that that could be a danger overall is that there are plenty of people out there who think they know, you know, exactly where it's going. But for me, I see the internet as a kind of a moment in, in Western civilization and now, you know, actually in global civilization that is quickly maturing from web one through web two into whatever you would call web three. But basically, it's a, a powerful affordance for human work and human functions and human practices that has sort of transformed 
uh, society. And you can look at web two if you want as a transactional web. People talk about the writing web, but it's it's really when I started doing my banking and buying my books and <clears throat> meeting my friends and you know ha having things that used to have to have me go out and uh, be in the world. Uh, that being able to do that from my my living room or my desk here at work, uh, where I still like to come, uh, by the way. That that's when you know the internet uh, the the Dow tripled you know in in two thousand and. Uh, humans got all these kind of free cycles, right? From an organizational psychology perspective, uh, that's what the industrial revolution did for us with the with the steam engine and the and the cotton gin. And, you know, you could suddenly have 10,000 saw movements in a minute. And, and I think with the internet, we got likewise a whole bunch of free cycles and everybody made a gob of money off of it. And, and indeed, it changed all of what we do and how we do it, uh, which is the nature of my you know, my uh, thinking and teaching has to do with what happens to the world or what happens to any sort of microcosm of the world when you fundamentally change its practices. If you look at the world through the lens of practices, you end up, uh, you can you can <clears throat> see it through what we call communities of practice, which is a theoretical idea from uh, the learning sciences. And it essentially describes how humans have co-organized <laughs> around critical practices like grocery store, bus station, uh, university, and and all of the different kinds of things and roles and, and, and transactions that people do are not written down anywhere. And yet we still manage to somehow do these things for decades just by kind of apprenticing people that come in and engaging them around these practices. And that's how we do student registration and student enrollment and teaching and janitorial and you know, groundskeeping and all of it is just sort of rehearsed through historical engagement in these these practices. So, so, I, I, so I, just to finish it, when you take something like the internet and it changes those practices, and now I can register online, or I can take a course online, or I can teach online, or I can do groceries online, or I can any of these kind of communities of practice in the world are being kind of affected by the new affordances of the internet and as we move into web 3 that's we'll have that conversation today but this is really having an impact on a kind of ubiquitous impact on all these communities of practice including the university which is my my place but uh when you ask me the, the question is sort of how do i see web 3 i kind of see it as a a kind of progression of web 1 and web 2 into this this kind of um expediency network for for facilitating the kind of replacement of old practices with new digital forms and that that's uh that's how i'm i'm looking at it um well that this concept that this this idea or then the term community of interest i, I find kind of very interesting as, as community i practice community practice sorry community practice yeah, yeah. um uh, you know, it, it, you're right. In the real world, there are various different communities, and they have different practices and and different domains, and and each of them have you know different vocabularies and different rule sets, and, and yet there is connective tissue, right? You know, we we have transportation infrastructure and communication infrastructure that allows those various different communities to you know interact with each other. In, in some ways, is is that a reasonable? you know, analog about what the metaverse possibly could be, because, you know, we've had worlds in the digital space, right? There's world of Warcraft and you, you know, it, you go in and you, you do world of Warcraft things and, 
we've had various different kinds of you know community organizations in the digital space that are are focused um and many of them have their own physics rules and their own currencies and their own you know practices um in many ways you know open source coding is is another one of these kind of community environments and they've got a, a certain tool set that they use but these are worlds and universes um is the metaverse perhaps what happens when you take those worlds and you provide connective tissue so that they can actually interact with each other? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess there's a couple things to that. Like I, I, I could imagine communities of practice occurring within a virtual world, right? If we, if we, in, in the old days with second life, but in the, in the new world of meta, I think you could imagine a company being set up in, <clears throat> in a virtualized space and, you know, actually have a, a place-based metaphor for that space where I actually have to, you know, walk down the hallway, like in gather town. And it takes, it takes Delta amount of time. And I get to a, another virtual place and I have to do something and someone else needs to be there quote unquote, and we could manufacture a kind of, uh, virtualized, uh, real world, uh, but in essence, no matter what, even in a, let's say in a in a in a, an open source coding community, which are often distributed and mostly online, they have lots of practices that they do that involve commits to GitHub and um, <clears throat> testing out and getting on the Slack channel and putting our headsets on, and you know they have they have those existing practices that are that are exercised and rehearsed and and they move them from one GitHub, you know group to the next so they get normed uh I, I just think that the internet and the the web3 the metaverse if you want is going to come into the existing human world and lay on top of it whether that's connective <clears throat> it is going to bring in new affordances this is kind of a McLuhan uh Marshall McLuhan concept when you when you change the media you change the message um when you change the practices <laughs> and you add a new affordances that don't that 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 kind of uh, uh, have implications on all the other ones, all the all the, the co co occurring ones within a community of practice. It just changes the whole community, and suddenly nobody comes to work anymore, and you have businesses closing their physical shop. Um, you don't know what else you lose there, and that that's a kind of. I hope we'll come back so, to that. Today. We, well, let's come back to that. Yeah. That's we, a, we don't know what we're losing, right? Yeah, now. I think that's a really really interesting topic. But before we get to that really interesting topic, um, I still want to kind of build part of the foundation here. And you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about you know what exactly is the metaverse. Uh, you know, obviously Facebook actually renamed themselves, and they spent you know, $9.2 billion in the last 12 minutes on research and development. And they announced legs, right? We now have legs, yeah, yeah, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, but obviously, the whole bunch of people think there's something important here. So I've been trying to figure out what that difference is. I mean, what's new here? And as I said, I, I spent quite a bit of time in, in Second Life uh, as a researcher, you know, back when, when it was, uh, you know, uh, the de rigueur. And I remember, I think it was in 2009 and so, um, IBM and Linden Labs, who ran Second Life, did this very highly publicized experiment. And they teleported an avatar between OpenSim, which was a universe uh, that was, you know, kind of an, an open spec universe, and Second Life, which was a closed universe run by a private company. 
And, uh, and to great fanfare, the Avatar was successfully teleported from one universe to another universe. But it showed up naked. Mm. And the reason it showed up naked was that clothing were assets, right? That they had an economic worth. You could purchase mm -hmm. clothing and trade them and earn, and you could convert fiat to Linden dollars. And, and there was no mechanism to allow the transfer of assets uh, through some sort of exchange that would explain how much an asset was worth mm -hmm. exchanged from one universe to another universe. And that backplane of, of being able to, you know, have assets and to have ownership uh, didn't exist. And so, you know, part of my thinking has been that perhaps the big deal here is that this this version of the metaverse, I mean, along with with more sophisticated physics engines and faster graphics processors and, you know, better headsets and, uh, and the like, but along with all of that, that we now have access to a backplane, right, that uh, that blockchain provides a mechanism to allow for ownership to happen. And if you have ownership, then you can start building businesses and economies and marketplaces. And then that that's completely transformative. Is does, does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, I think you're kind of, I think I've tried again, your guess and my guess, right? But I don't think, <clears throat> I don't, I wouldn't bet on this becoming about virtual reality and virtualized worlds like Second Life and, and Meta. I think there will be a lot of that. But I think the bigger story of Web3 is about kind of continuing the progress toward transactional spaces, toward recommender systems toward kind of affordances for work for social for commerce and you know, if we want to turn into a, a second body and migrate around in a in a virtual world i think that's obviously maps onto that just fine but but those kind of blockchainy um token based um credentialing systems are definitely going to be i think part of it i think you guys are are betting correctly there um uh, you know we're all going to be able to do our world from our desk necessarily mean i have to be in a virtual body but <clears throat> it does mean that the rich will get richer uh the social problems will become more profound you know the environmental problems aren't going anywhere i guess we can reduce less you know we can produce less carbon if we don't move around but but I think Web3 is is really going to be driven by the needs of people to kind of make money. And uh, that's how it's been driven in Web2. Well, so, so Jim, let's, I mean, let's go there because you know, I, I think you're on a really interesting point, right? And, you know, you can argue that, that any technology will have positive and negative impacts, especially, you know, in its genesis and early formation. Um, but... And a lot of people are arguing that that metaverse is a leveling technology, right? That it allows for much greater inclusivity, that it abstracts um, the haves and the haves nots and, and where you live and its proximity to a big urban center or what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear. You know, the, the barrier to entry and participation is extremely low. And so it could be much, much more inclusive and allow for gig economy workers to be productive from wherever and whenever they are 
So, I mean, that's, that's part of the narrative that many people are, you know, espousing, but, but you have a, a view that suggests that that may not pan out that way, that might exacerbate uh, inequities in society. Can you, can you help us, you know, pull at that thread? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that point, Douglas. I think that's an important point. I've made that point myself with the internet, that it's a great equity builder, you know, that you, the rich schools used to have the good libraries and the poor schools didn't. And then the poor schools would get the rich schools' old library when they got a new one. And when the internet came along, you know, they all got they all got the same internet, which was awesome. So I I don't disagree with some of that that reasoning about inclusivity. I, I think it's you know, it's great that young people can move out of Toronto and go buy a place now in, you know, remote Ontario and do their day job. Um, and also that people who are less, you know, who don't have the wherewithal to, to uh, you know, to commute or to get in can can get places. Like, I think there is a, an affordance for inclusivity, no doubt. But again, that's often an argument made by the neoliberal agenda that, you know, um, everybody can have it and it's great. And it, it'll let uh, moms stay at home and it'll let, uh, people get online and submit their resumes on indeed and get a job and it if that's a little bit true there's still there's still rich getting richer okay and there's still the, the advantages are going to prevail and even get more right so if, if you're a big player in that world the world that you're building that world like that world is being built by the um the, the digital elite if you will and they're gonna make sure that the people that have that the kind of capital get more capital, and the people that don't, and that includes kind of social capital, uh, are gonna have an increasingly challenging um, life to kind of get into any of that. They're, they're, there's always gonna be the, the people in our world that are that are, you know, uh, doing the dirty work and not having the benefits of these, you know, these kind of work from home jobs and uh, the expediencies of the metaverse. So I, I do suspect you're going to see a, a new kind of digital divide. I don't think that this is going to build care for the people who need it. And I think you're going to see social problems uh, that are already kind of poking up uh, are going to are going to occur. Now, m maybe this new internet can offer ways for us to re redress some of that. I think that's not a, a hopeless situation. I think we can, let's say, index the need for care and find those people and respond to them, right? We can look at a microcosm of just the latest e-schooling uh, effort that happened during the pandemic. And there were kids that thrived when we went online to learn, and there were kids that fell further behind. And the kids that fell further behind were by and large the ones that you could probably predict didn't have support, didn't have access, didn't have the kind of language of of how and why they should take that seriously. So if as we move into more and more of that, you're going to find that it privileges the people that are able to participate in those modes, and it and it kind of compromises further the ones who can't. And I don't, I don't. Again, I think that's a social challenge that we can respond to, but it is not on the front burner of the folks that are driving this change. So we're going to have to keep that in the discussion. And, and fortunately, there is a lot of discussion about these issues these days. So that 
that's uh, that's hopeful. Yeah. It, so in, in what you just said, it seems to me there's three kind of major, well, three very interesting ideas that um, that you, you alluded to. Uh, one of which is the concern that I think is quite valid that says that this technology, like many other technologies, could enable um, some some situations that society doesn't think are very constructive um, and you know don't contribute to to welfare. That you know we'll we'll spend all of our time in casinos or with pornography. Uh, or in in these increasingly realistic virtual chat groups with people that are like minded about. Mm-hmm. I didn't say any of that, but I don't disagree with those. That yeah, there will, but, uh, yeah, those will, yeah, those will continue to be. Those will those will be interesting yeah, so, challenges so, too. I, yeah. I was extrapolating. Of, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I, the I follow you. You're giving me. Um, I follow you. I, I think that that that. You know, is is a very reasonable concern that any time that you you know build a, an enabling technology, that you break down barriers and access to certain kinds of behaviors and collective behaviors that you know may not uh, contribute to societal welfare, and uh, I think those are very legitimate things that we need to worry about. The second point that I think you were making was uh, the digital divide, which says that uh, there are certain people that, you know, by virtue of their access to the technology or their literacy with the technology um, are going to be able to, you know, take advantage of, you know, whether it's educational offerings or, you know, more efficient transactions or, you know, being able to meet the right people, um, that there's going to be digital haves and digital have-nots and any, you know, technology is going to, exacerbate that uh, divide and we need to worry about that from a society standpoint and the third piece which was in your order actually the first piece is a different kind of digital divide or, 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 or actually it's the the whether the the value created by this will be distributed in anything approaching an equitable fashion whether you know the rich companies that are building this will just get richer and on that point I think that there's an, an assumption implicit in what you were arguing that uh, that this is going to be a platform play, right? That uh, the the biggest companies in the world are, you know, Apple and Google and and uh, and Amazon and Facebook. These are all you know platform oriented companies, mm. um, and that's that by virtue of them providing a platform and everyone signing on to the platform and for them, you know, running the state, the record of all transactions and collecting all the data about people's behaviors and stuff, that that will just give them more and more tools to accumulate more and more wealth and more and more power and control. And um, there's an argument that says that, you know, the platform view of things is an artifact of the Web 2 world, that in the Web 3 world, uh, its radical composability and its uh, potential to have decentralized governance means that many smaller economic actors will be able to combine their resources um, and produce composite goods and services to the marketplace in ways that were never possible before, and that it'll be much more difficult for big platform companies to dominate and to accumulate the vast amount of value being created. So... That's the argument. Do you, do you buy that? I that's again that's hopeful. I mean, I bought that when we were so big fans of open source development, and you know, have basically watched 
that movement, um, you know, not flourish, uh, it hasn't vanished, but, um, you know, I, yeah, I think, I think Linux still drives two thirds of the uh, machines in the world. And we still, we still have hope for that kind of decentralized commerce, but, um, and then, and actually meta, meta, the kind of latest moves on, on the part of meta suggests that they're not going to try to dominate anymore. They're going to try to be more like a, an operating system <clears throat> that supports all that stuff. So may, maybe, uh, I, I just, I just don't know. I, I would assume that you're going to get in web three, the, the next generation of web two, the way that web two brought us from web one. So this movement of the web shouldn't be seen as <clears throat> massive tectonic, you know, shift as much as progression and the players, Apple, Facebook, Google, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're guessing with the rest of us, but they got the resources. They're going to have content, you know, they're going to have people, they're going to do their best to kind of capitalize and keep business. So, so maybe we'll just see. Again, I think for me, the bigger issues are the kind of um, the climate change that's happening in our communities of practice around the world. And the pandemic was a tectonic moment that that sort of nudged everybody quickly into what it was probably heading for. But we got a quick a, a quick break that showed us where that was and what and what it is, is is startling to many of us that we no longer have you know, the people no longer go, want to go to work. And we just gave all of our staff here right. in my apartment, you know, can only have to come in two days a week. So the same thing's happening in higher education. And I think those kind of, that, those kind of factors are much bigger to me than what's happening on the web. And, um, yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think the pandemic could very well be an accelerant, uh, for all of this. And, who knows, maybe it's possible that this kind of two-dimensional interface that, you know, we've used for the last two years during the pandemic um, becomes more immersive and more spatially oriented. And yeah, we'll, we'll be on, we'll be on virtual worlds and we'll be on. But, but maybe, but maybe that, that's a hybrid, right? That, you know, we get some of the attributes of the in-person experience and some of the convenience of the, you know, the remote experience and we can hybridize it. Yeah, well, shoot me now, honestly. Like, <laughs> I read George Orwell. You read No World or whatever, but I, I don't think you approximate. You gradually approximate human condition by making it increasingly veridical. Yeah, I agree that seeing my doctor online instead of going in is transformational. I agree that having that be available to people in remote places or in underdeveloped settings is is miraculous and transformational. So you cannot get around yep. the, uh, the affordances and the arguments of this, this slide It is going to happen because it is, it is offering expediency, efficiency, availability. So it is going to happen. But I mean, if we continue to make these, these kind of developments of, um, to, you know, to try to make this closer and closer to me and you really sitting in a room together, we're looking at each other now, you know, via Zoom screen, and I've had, I think it's something like five hundred thousand Zoom minutes the last three years, or some crazy stuff. <laughs> I'm one of the top Zoomers in my department, that's for sure. I, yeah, I don't know. It makes me, it makes me feel sad and and distressed that 
that's what we want to argue for that it's like better for me to sit in my room and connect with you guys all so none of us have to come in and then if you take that to education which they are which they are um right especially in higher education can we not all just e-learn and then i don't have to send my kid to college for four years uh that costs you know lots of money and <clears throat> and also we can you know there's all kinds of arguments for why that would be a good thing we, we might be able to spend a few minutes talking about that you're going to lose the university you're going to lose the the experience of of being in a place with people the the horribly horribly inefficient experience that was the university which gave rise to all of those those you know those uh, you know unnecessary but but super important side uh experiences of going to cafes and hanging out before class and being in a dorm and having you know having uh the experience so yeah we will we'll keep sliding down this path i i don't know where it's going but it's going everywhere in the world of work and pretty much everywhere in the world of higher education yeah no i i i, I hear you I, I remember in my first year of university undergraduate uh one of my professors one of my very first classes said you know welcomes to queen's university and you're going to learn a lot in the next four years, but actually a relatively small amount of that's going to happen in a classroom. And um, and he was right. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for that in-person, on-campus sort of experience uh, as part of, you know, learning life's lessons. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the challenges that uh, I, I also think that you're right that in, for many people to be transformative because there, there are some people that just, for many reasons, will never be able to experience that, you know, on-campus university experience. Um, but, and, and as well as the fact that we're going to be lifelong learners, right? That we need to always go back to school and it's just not realistic to spend all your time at, you know, university. you've got to work to do your, your, your learning is going to be, you know, five to seven hours a week instead of every day. Mm -hmm. So can we create environments for learning that are just much more effective, uh, by using some of this technology and does that fit into the whole you know, the whole, the big educational picture. I think those are very valid questions. Now, one one area that's kind of um, been, I, I suppose, con I'm not sure it's, yeah, I guess it is concerning me in, in terms of wanting to figure out, you know, what it really means, but the, the intersection of artificial intelligence with these new spatial environments. I mean, already with augmented and artificial realities, um, you know, we have various different prediction engines that are, you know, helping us navigate through those worlds, um, you know, in, in the extreme, in many ways, the, you know, experience of driving some of the more advanced vehicles out there are increasingly virtual environments where AI is, you know, inter interdicting our uh, experience with the real world. When you merge it with the metaverse, you know, do you, how do you see those two things coming together? And is that a, a good thing or, or a scary thing? Yeah, I have been thinking a bit about that. Let me, let me quickly return to the previous just for a second on, sure. on the shifting of the, like, I, I liked the way that you framed, you know, the need for continuing education and upskilling and lifelong learning. And I do think that's unrealistic to do at a university, right? I, I'm, I'm selfishly, cognizant of my environment of the place that i work and the institution that i represent here and also 
what the role of that institution is in society, which is more than than educating undergraduate students, although that that pays a lot of the, the kind of bills for things. But if you're going to hit those things, and this includes the, the, the there are parallels in other disciplines, um, certainly in the world of, of work, where you've got companies that are now, you know, hybridizing and virtualizing. If you hit all of us with rapid change, this is back to that COP community practice uh, construct. You get you get something like climate change, and what climate change is known for is rapid changing of ecosystems um, in the in the in the in the uh, environmental context of of climate change. It's like clear cutting a forest. When you clear cut a forest, you lose the biodiversity. You lose the 1,200 species or whatever, and you get what grows back, right? And that happens with climate change when the kelp forests move from from California up, up into uh, British Columbia. You get something in its place, and you'll get something up in British Columbia that looks like kelp, but you won't get the biodiversity of the kelp forest. Same thing with the university uh, and with the business world. You'll, you're going to have quick change, and you're going to lose that biodiversity and you're going to get back, you know, kind of neoliberal expediency and, and, and handling the, the job at hand, which would, would be to give you an undergraduate degree, for example, that's just for you, that's tailored, that's accessible, that's cheap, but you'll lose the kind of wonderful inefficiencies that we had that had, you know, this sort of a thousand year experiment that has been changing along, but changes slowly, slowly, like the, like the real climate used to also change, but, but the, the, What's going on these days with the rise of the internet is definitely pushing on all these institutions, changing them quickly, and we're going to have to just see where it goes. But with AI, let me just say, I think that's gonna um, that's gonna be Web four. You know, uh, you go into a virtual world and you're surrounded by virtual beings, and and half of them are real, and half of them are are bots, and half of those bots are real life. Gosh, I hadn't even thought of that. I, I was just thinking about, you know, the prediction engine capabilities that as you interacted with the world, the world was adapting around you because it was anticipating the things you were looking at. I hadn't even thought about the idea of, of artificial people. Oh, it's well, then if you're looking at the latest, you know, um, text, uh, you know, um, natural language processing engines, the, the, there's an explosion of um, capability of interpreting real-time language and producing real-time language, you know, there, it won't take long before you can have an, an engine that generates a brand new essay for any university level college that's will score a, a B plus if you want a B plus or an A, you know, like this stuff is really coming along quick. So uh, uh, it's hard to predict exactly where that's going to show up in the web three, but, um, but the advances of AI are going to make machine learning, which is our our late the the more recent kind of AI wave, a powerful wave, I think it's going to make machine learning even look um, small in in comparison. So, when you add the capabilities of generating content and of of receiving and interpreting natural language uh, into the metaverse, you're going to get um, you know blockchain notwithstanding, you're going to get um, a whole bunch of new possibilities for the kinds of change that we've been talking about, uh, but also the, some of the degeneracy, degeneracies that you mentioned uh, as well. But 
but overall, this is just uh, this is just Pandora's box. So people like me who are kind of aware enough about all this that we've been professing about it for 20 years and watching it, you know, in my class, I've been teaching the same class on media and learning since, you know, 2004, but before that, another, another related class, you just sort of watch all this. And, you know, then iPhones came up, right. And then, uh, here comes the, uh, here comes the web three. So we'll see where it goes, but yeah. I mean, one thing that it's doing is it's changing the communities of practice of our world. And it's it it is potentially equity building, but it is very also potentially um, driving deeper divides, such that the elite, you know, the elite will continue to send their kids to four year college because they'll see it as nostalgic and um, and truly good learning. Like they'll see it as like that's what real college is: is getting our kids a proper education. And the the other tiers will get you know e learning. <laughs> Uh, in various forms. And uh, I can tell you as an educator that e-learning is not that great. And oh, but, 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 but already in society, the elites send their kids true. to yeah. universities yeah. and yeah. no Absolutely. one else does. So I agree. It's true. This, and we can give that those other tiers a better quality education that they have today. That's right. We'll give a wider, a wider catchment of people, an undergraduate degree, uh, while making that undergraduate degree, less valuable so congratulations here's the keys to the kingdom you now have an undergraduate degree when you never could get one before thanks to the almighty internet that gave you that well <laughs> while eroding the university you know and and basically changing the future of work and I, I think this the work kind of if you talk to 12 year olds and 14 year olds right now there's a lot of anxiety about what their world is going to have for them. And I, I have those kids of my own right now, and they are not at all clear that there are going to be jobs, you know, that there's going to be money, that there's going to be stability, that the world as they know it is going to kind of keep, keep its norms and expectations. So we're, we're really kind of taking a match to Tinder here without knowing a lot about what, you know, what we're doing. I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, what I'm hearing from you is that I, I detect a certain kind of internal conflict because I think on the one hand, you actually do see that there's a great number of use cases where this technology will actually be very good and more inclusive and, you know, more productive and, and will allow, you know, various different parts of our society that haven't been able to participate in a lot of value creation, you know, much better access to that. And on the other hand, there's all kinds of things that could go horribly wrong and that there's a significant concern about, you know, degrading the human experience. And I, I think that's, I think that's very valid. I think that's probably a concern that we've always had at the transition uh, between eras, right? When new foundational technologies were introduced, uh, you know, when electricity was introduced and we were largely an agrarian society, there was a lot of people that were concerned about what electrification was going to do to urbanization, what urbanization was going to do to, you know, their way of life, the way that, you know, they had always lived. And and we built a different kind of society um, because of that technology. And it had, you know, ills and it had benefits. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. And I think we should be careful about it. Uh, so it's, it's anyway, it's, 
it's an interesting time to be alive. And I'm, I'm for one, I'm glad, Jim, that, uh, that you're out there thinking about this stuff and uh, talking and teaching students and helping them get the critical thinking skills so that they can participate in the building of whatever this new world is, is going to offer us. Yeah, well, it, it is Pandora's box. I think that's important to know. We've been dabbling in that box since, I'd say, really since uh, early 2000s, um, knowing that it was going to open up all sorts of doors, and we have seen them open. You know, I can walk around right now and, and have, you know, shopping and maps and messaging and all that crazy stuff on my phone in real time. I'm in touch with my kids. So we all love that stuff. It's magic. The wizards are you guys and some of these tech developers and the meta companies and Google, and they say do no harm, but I just think um, the wizards don't really kind of have um, their handle on what this is doing to society. And, and they don't really always have um, social welfare in mind. Um, they're kind of, they're kind of riding a wave. <laughs> So there's probably no way to stop it, but indeed, we're going to have to think about our kids and we're going to have to think about the, I think, you know, higher education is going to have to do some deep thinking if it doesn't really care for what the university experience is and decide that that's important, that's all going to be online before you know it. A lot of it with VR headsets, I'm sure, but um, these things are just kind of happening and we're, we're going along like it's a, like it's an avalanche, but we need to be aware. We need to be thoughtful. We need to kind of be reflective and keep our eye out for where things might be sliding in dangerous directions. And I'm not going to be able to do that. Uh, you know, like we're going to need everybody to kind of pay attention to that. And, and fortunately there are a lot of folks thinking about equity and justice and inclusiveness and decolonizing uh, our world. And so hopefully those people will show up in the tech sector and show up in the in the meta uh, world. I, I, th I think you guys are thinking about some interesting topics in decentralized, in kind of credentialing, uh, you know, education is going to need credentialing. Uh, but how can we turn that toward care, right? How can we turn that toward somebody who has a low clout score, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't get the um, indeed um notification that there's a job for them how can we find those people and bring them up and have them not fall further behind i think these are the kind of questions we're going to need you know kind of uh thoughtful engagement of of that community uh sooner than later and and hopefully hopefully we'll survive the kind of the rush that is the 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 changes that we're in right now the next five years or so are going to be are going to be very very interesting well jim you've uh you've certainly given us an awful lot to think about and uh thank you jim for helping us better understand what the metaverse is and how web3 and blockchain will play a role in the emerging metaverse and how they're going to usher in a new era and thank you all for joining us for this episode of w3b talks you can find research on this and other topics at blockchainresearchinstitute.org. I'm your host, Doug Heinzman. We hope that you'll join us for our next episode of W3B Talks.